Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Oh, thank you. I'm Buddy. I am a recovering sexaholic. Um, my essay sobriety date is um, December 2nd of uh, 1997. Um, I, I came to SA from AA, where um, I got sober in AA of February 24th of 1980. Um, so I've been uh, lived longer in sobriety than, than I was in my addiction. Um, yeah. So Luke had texted me or chatted me, and I said yes, because I was told in the very beginning, never turn down an opportunity. If someone asks one to speak, the only response can be yes. Um, It is our responsibility to give back what has been so freely given to us. Um, I guess today, uh, um, steps eight and nine, and this is really quite a challenge for me. Um, I was sexually assaulted uh, by my uncle when I was 16. And um, I have been asked um, if I've ever forgiven him as, as part of my steps eight and nine. Um, and I'm not really too sure how that tied into steps eight and nine. Um, But the answer had to be uh, no. No, I I have never forgiven him. Um, And the reason is, is because he stole my power from me and I haven't even yet to really begin to even experience that I disconnected from my body in that experience and and just beginning to reconnect. So let me fill in some background. Um, I had my first drink of alcohol. I was five years old. My father um, was drinking uh, these Rolling Rock beer and they... um, Rolling Rock at that time was available in little little bottles, little seven ounce bottles. Um, they called them pony bottles. They had a, a figure of a horse on them. And he offered me a, a, a pony bottle of, of beer, and he also offered me a shot of whiskey. Um, I remember trying to taste the whiskey, and it just burned so bad. But I, I, I drank the beer, and it was cold and fuzzy, bubbly kind of. And, and boy, I just liked that. It, that beer, it, it made me feel good. Um, 
And I remember sitting down in the corner and and looking across the room at my father um, and, and just feeling full of love and admiration for him. Um, and I think all that ended shortly afterwards, because by the time I was 15, I was trying to find my father's handgun so that I could shoot him. Um, our house had gotten burglarized. The handgun had gotten stolen. Um, so my father got to live that day. Um, the reason I wanted to kill my father was because he was uh, raising me from what he learned in the Marine Corps. He was a military police officer. And his idea of discipline was physical punishment. And he, uh, when he would get drunk, he would rage and he would hit whoever he caught. And nobody necessarily needed to have done anything. It just if he got triggered into a rage, somebody was going to get beat. Um, as a little kid, I learned to hide. Um, I learned to run fast and hide. Um, I managed one time to hide under a bed. He caught my older sister, beat the crap out of her. Um just left me terrified. Uh, I, I can recall times my father telling me, uh, you better be afraid of me. And, and I learned fear. I learned to be afraid of my father. Um, so by the time I reached 15, I, uh, I decided the only way to, uh, to stop this was to kill him. But uh, the house got robbed and somebody else got the gun. Um, I, I became a pretty good drunk, and at some point in there with my drinking, I found pornography, and uh, it, it set my whole world on fire. I loved it. I loved looking at the pictures. Um, I learned to masturbate, and I loved masturbating. It gave me relief. It took away my pain. It took away the fear. Just getting caught up in lust, just really, really took away all my pain. Um, when I was 16, I also found a girlfriend. She was 15. And in a short period of time, we started having sex. And sure enough, I got her pregnant. Um, and then I found some money and gave it to her. And her older sister took her to get an abortion. Um, that's kind of like... Um, caused a whole lot of pain in me, a whole lot of um, remorse, um, just a lot of sadness. I got another girlfriend when I was 18, and uh, when I was 19, I got her pregnant, and I did the same thing again. Only I figured I'm going to be a man, and I'm going to go with her when she got the abortion. And all that guilt, shame, remorse, I experienced all that again, only this time uh, I managed to get a couple bottles of wine and got real drunk and just stayed drunk until I was 25. Um, what brought me to AA is I couldn't drink anymore. Physically, my body was beat down. Um, but there was one other thing that happened in there. I had a... Uh, 
managed to get an apartment by myself. Um, and I usually remembered everything. I never usually was a blackout drinker. But here I am, 25, sitting in my apartment and realizing, like, something just don't feel right. And I leaned forward on the sofa and I looked into my bedroom. And there was a young girl sitting in my bed. And it was clear that she was undressed. And I realized at that moment, like, I must be a blackout drinker because I have no recollection of how this child got into my bed. And she was holding a quart of beer. And she said to me, um, Kirk, Kirk, are you coming into the bedroom? And I thought, who the hell is Kirk? And, and I realized she was talking to me. I must have made up a name. And I must have given this girl a quart of beer and lured her into my apartment. And now she's sitting in my bedroom. And I had this sudden awakening, like, holy shit, I'm about to commit a crime. I have probably have already committed a crime. I've given a, a, a child alcohol, and, and she's in my bed, uh, unclothed. And I came to my senses, and I said to her, listen, you're, you're going to have to leave. Um, and she asked me, can I keep the beer? Um, and I told her, yeah, yeah but please leave. And I realized, like, I got a drinking problem. Um, it never occurred to me I had a lust problem. I got a drinking problem. So she left, and I had a couple more thoughts on that whole matter. And somebody told me about AA, and I, and I, I stumbled into AA, and I started getting sober. Um, in the process of sobriety, my, my porn addiction took off. I got a sponsor right away and he told me, he'd come over to my apartment and he saw my pile of pornography and he said, you know, when, when I got sober, I, I had to get rid of all that stuff. Um, and he, he told me to get started with the steps and step seven or step four, the seven deadly sins, um, anger, pre- Anger, uh, <laughs> greed, pride, gluttony, envy, sloth, and lust. And I said, they got that wrong. There's only six deadly sins. Lust is not a deadly sin. Lust was what got me out of bed in the morning. It's what got me through the day. It's what helped me asleep at night. Um, and he just looked at me like, you'll learn. So I didn't get rid of the pornography. Um, I just wasn't ready to give it up. Um, what happened, I really started um, getting into it. I got a girlfriend, beautiful young woman, um, who actually wanted to have sex with me and tried numerous times to seduce me. And I couldn't. Um, I didn't understand then what my problem was. I can masturbate the pictures of her. I could think about her and masturbate, but I couldn't actually have sex with her. I didn't understand what I had was these feelings of inadequacy. 
and these feelings of unworthiness. Um, and they kept coming up and they kept telling me I'm not a man. And I would only leave her feeling like that's it. Like what? All the work it took me to get you into bed and that's it. So these feelings of inadequacy were, were overwhelming. Um, and I ran from her. Um, and then the beautiful young woman in AA trapped me. <laughs> and she was successful. Um, <laughs> we got married um, and we're still married 37 years later. And we have a beautiful son who's 37 years of age or 36. He's going to be, well, I don't know. I think he just turned 37. But, um, how does all ties in this, in, 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 into um, getting molested? Is is the pornography is continued? I was seventeen years sober in AA, um, and really asking myself, like, what the hell's wrong with me? My wife would be in bed, sleeping, loving to have sex with me, and like I'd be in the living room using pornography and masturbating. And it just like something just crashed. Um, I had heard about SA. Um, I had known about SA for quite a while, um, but just figured it didn't apply to me. Um, I found out where a meeting was. Um, I came to a meeting. Um, I got a guy. The, who's still my sponsor today, Peter, he told me, um, it's lust. It's all in our head. Um, we sat down, we read the problem, and I heard about inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid, and I knew, like, I was home. That described me to a T. Um, I was 43 years of age. I'm a professional firefighter I run into burning buildings and yet what I was feeling was inadequate unworthy alone and afraid um, it really started to sink in um, I got to work on the steps um, I told <laughs> I told him you're going to sponsor me and if you say no, God's going to take away that free gift that he gave you. Um, <laughs> what could he say? <laughs> he had to say yes. So we got to work on the steps. Um, and I did a lot of work in my relations. I, I did the abstinence. I've done a few periods of abstinence through the years. Um, my relationship with my wife um, greatly improved. Uh, my relationship with my son has, has greatly improved. Um, I was in making a lot of conventions. I was in part in Madrid, Spain in, in 2019 for our winter convention. And uh, suddenly something inside me just kind of sort of like really started to um, break through to the surface. And I realized even within SA, I'm still isolating. I'm sponsoring guys. I'm involved in service, but I'm still isolating. 
And that whole idea of feeling inadequate, unworthy, alone and afraid. Um, I followed the directions in the big book. It says that there, there are many fine doctors and psychiatrists out there that God has provided us with and they can help us. And I, I, I got one of those. And I really started to look into myself about this, this inadequacy. Um, and one of the things that came up, I'd been sexually assaulted twice, um, as a, as a boy. The second one, uh, I was 16. And I realized when that happened, instead of fighting back, I just froze. I was just paralyzed. Um, it was my uncle. He was bigger than me, stronger than me, um, and I was just paralyzed. Um, and I realized that in the process, like, I gave away my power. Um, that incident took from me my whole feeling of, of being a man. Like, why are... Men, why do men find want to have sex with me? What's wrong with me that a man would want to do that to me, especially my uncle? Um, and it really left me feeling inadequate. Um, and and I began to understand that, like in 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 my relationships, um, that's what came up. I didn't know, it, but that's what had come up when when I ran from my first girlfriend in, in, in AA sobriety. Um, just that feeling way deep in my core that I'm inadequate. Um, and this overwhelming sense that I don't matter, um, that I really don't matter. As a kid, when I was eight and a half, I nearly died um, drowning. My older brother did drown um my sister was the one who had taken us swimming she obviously had to tell my parents my brother drowned but she made no mention of me being pulled out of the water she just let my family believe it was just my brother so i never got any attention no one ever like treated me for trauma or anything. And now I'm learning that I've been stuck in this PTSD thing my whole fucking life. Excuse my language. And it had caused this deep depression my whole life. Um, on March 28th of 2019, I had a spiritual awakening. I can only compare it to what Bill Wilson experienced in Towns Hospital when he was saying, like, there is no God. If there is a God, show yourself to me. And and the whole hospital room lit up. It was filled with light. And he experienced the, the presence of a higher power. Um, and, and he recognized, yeah, there is a God. And, and his sobriety began then. Um, and AA, once he met Dr. Bob, then AA would, would, would begin. But that's when his sobriety began. On March 28th of 2019, I had one of those spiritual awakenings where I was screaming and crying and 
the snot was flowing and I was pounding the floors and cursing God, cursing my mom, cursing everyone for abandoning me and for, for just never paying any attention to me. Like I nearly de- died and no one cared. Um, and I had an experience where the depression lifted for the first time in my life. I've been depressed for 55 years and, and it lifted. And I started to experience joy. And, and I, my wife was sitting on the sofa the whole time. Like she looked like a deer caught in the headlights. And I looked at her and I said to her, am I dead? Have I died? And she had said to me, no, you're, you're not dead, but you got blood coming out of your ear. Thank you. Um, you got blood coming out of your ears. Um, I want you to go to a doctor. And <laughs> I said to her, I'm not going to any doctor. This I just had an experience here. My depression has lifted. I'm feeling something. I think it's joy. I feel like I'm floating. <laughs> I'm not going to a doctor. Don't just dope me up and take this feeling away from me. <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> um it gradually it passed. It was about um, about three weeks that that feeling went on, and and like I I, I liken that to the, the the pink cloud stage that that I experienced in AA. Um, many newcomers go through that when they put down a drug. Um, the, the pink cloud, like oh, life is so grand uh, until reality kicks back in and says, yeah, well, you're still like the same person you know you still got liver damage <laughs> um but anyway in my process of digging deeper and deeper where i am today is coming to terms with when i got molested the second time there it, it had taken away all my power so i'm trying to reclaim that and when i was asked if i had forgiven my uncle uh, no because i need first to go through the process of getting angry at him um i'm not going to kill him i don't mean that kind of anger that's going to be physically destructive to him i'm not going to blow up his facebook page or any of that kind of stuff what i'm doing is i'm finding a way with my sponsor in a healthy safe, sober way to get in touch with my anger. And in the process, what I'm finding is there's a feeling of strength that's coming back into me. It's like I'm regaining that power which I gave away. Um, I may, I hope, I will get to forgiveness. I will someday recognize he's probably got the same disease I have. He's probably a lustaholic just like me. I will get to a point one day in my step work and with my higher power that I will forgive him. I'm not there yet. Um, It took me 15 years to learn to forgive my father. Um, So if I'm around for another 15 years, I'll eventually get to forgive my uncle. Um, And I, you know what? I I think I said enough. So thanks for letting me share.
Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi, Claudia. Thank you so Claudia. much, buddy, for your share. Um, I'm really touched and uh, yeah, I can identify with a lot. Um, yeah, it's a grace to hear you saying your truth <laughs> and that you can be so honest and uh, yes, that's really helpful mm. to share where I'm right now and be honest and uh, I'm I think on a similar place right now I'm still in my ninth step and I'm working a lot on my abuse stuff from my earliest childhood I was abused as a baby and yes and then also abused by my grandfather and um, I'm going through a lot of pain and Again and again, it's coming in that, um, yes, this, okay, this is, the, he had the same disease, the person, that, that's, we are the same, we are, um, yes, we have the same disease, and the person who abused me did it out of, of this disease and this is what helps me more to to get connected with my compassion I'm thank you towards myself and the other person and I'm still not there to forgive I got more compassion but and I always have the feeling my grandfather's dead he's coming and is apologizing, but I'm I'm sometimes not willing right now, and I think that's in God's time. That's not my job to forgive him. It's God's job. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Claudia. Uh, Daniel J. Go ahead. Hey, thanks, Francis, for your service, and buddy, that was really awesome. I've heard you share before, but this was a slightly different angle and everything and what i really appreciate is you bringing up this issue of, of abuse because it's something that uh, i'm recently starting to share a lot about i was abused when i was five or six year olds five or six years old by an older boy and it only happened a couple of three times so i dismissed it my entire life but those therapists and doctors you mentioned that the big book talks about have helped me understand that it doesn't take but one such incident to completely affect the emotional development of a small child. And I'm still coming to terms with what that's done to me with my sexuality and lust addiction. Combine that with a family that was not overtly abusive, but there was probably subtle emotional abuse and then a divorce, abandonment issues. And then you have a perfect storm for for someone to look for um, comfort in masturbation, pornography, affairs, other other things. So I really appreciate you bringing up uh, this theme. So thanks. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Bill V, go ahead. Thanks, Francis. 
Bill V from uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm powerless over lust, and I'm powerless okay. over uh, the 20 years ago, the resentment I had towards Buddy at my first essay meeting. <laughs> that uh, I walk in, and we there's a meeting going on, and the meeting wasn't bad. It was after the meeting, Buddy points to his sponsor and says, Bill, that's your new sponsor over there in the corner. Go talk to him. And I, was, I went home. I, I liked Peter. I loved him. He was my best sponsor ever. But I hung on to that. Who's this guy? Who's this guy telling me what to do and this and that, man? And I couldn't see the forest from the trees, you know. And I, I, I want to say the same thing the last gentleman said, uh, that, Buddy, you're an extremely important part of my recovery these past five years. And uh, tell your ego to go away. This isn't about your ego. This is about our hearts. This is about uh, love and it's about respect and it's about dignity. It's about sobriety. It's about higher power. It's about the spirituality of the steps and how it creates a new fellowship and a new, a new imagination of how we, I can relate to other people. This stuff is beyond my wildest imagination. I, I relate to so many things that you talked about that I haven't heard before. I've heard a lot of it, but a lot of it I didn't. And what really stuck out at me and I think is really, really critical is that you didn't talk about it as abuse as much as you talked about the feelings connected to the abuse. And that's what I disconnect from. Thank you, Luke, is the feelings of inadequacy, unworthiness, aloneness, and afraid. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for for bringing that feature out and blessings to you, brother. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Juan Carlos. Yes, Juan Carlos Esajoli. Thank you very much, uh, buddy. It's an honor to listen twice your your testimony. Yes, Uh, it was a great, uh, it was, I was fortunate to meet you uh, in Madrid uh, convention uh, and again in Seattle. Um, well, it, thanks to the opportunity of online meetings uh, to see you several times, and also relating to your childhood. Uh, in my case, the the one the, the guy who molested me when I was uh, twelve, uh, I thought that it was uh, it was love because he was the first mom that give, uh, gave me uh, caresses and love and tenderness beyond the the sexual assault that I suffered, but. Uh, because my dad couldn't give, give me. So for me, was the I was rocketed into last by this way because I thought, uh, well, men can do it for me what my dad, my dad couldn't. So, but it was, <laughs> it was a stupid. Uh, so thank you for remind, remind me and uh, remember me this uh, stuff, this ugly stuff that, in, that happened in my past, but because of that, I'm here uh, listening to you all. And having this opportunity to, to have the, the second chance in my life to, to be happy and joyous and freedom. So thank you very much, buddy. Thank you, Juan Carlos. Thank you. Thanks, Juan Carlos. Akiva, your hand is up. Hi, Akiva Saksahalik. Akiva. So, a couple of interesting things. I don't know if Buddy heard my yesterday's voicemail or not. But, um, okay. So number one, <clears throat> number one, Buddy has been my sponsor for about six, seven years by now, if not eight. Um, and I've never heard his story. 
in a meeting. I really never did. Yeah, I've heard about Gloria that he always talks about. He never heard my story. But Gloria wasn't present today at the speech uh, that Buddy talks about. Yeah, Gloria is the mannequin that Buddy fell in love with. Um, yeah. But um, I'm glad to hear that. See, I came in to just come to the, my, my home meeting. I did not know who I'm going to be hearing. I may I moved my schedule around to be at that meeting because I had something going on. And um, meeting the unexpected, really, what something what I was trying to uh, get a clarity on. And I called Buddy yesterday, and I said, my wife, you know, we just got off the birth control pill, and my wife is pregnant. And it's, uh, you know, I have four children already, so I'm cringing. I'm like, how am I going to greet this gift of God that many people pray for and they don't get? Um, how am I going to do it? How am I going to face it? And this idea of just stepping up to the game to whatever whatever it is, I thought I'm just listening to the speaker. I didn't know that it was going to be the first time that I'm going to hear my my sponsor just step up and and, and speak out. I know my sponsor loves me. I, I I I don't. I know he is a human being. I know he has resentments. I know one thing in life. I know my sponsor doesn't look down at me, and that is a very important thing in my life. Why? I don't feel that way with many rabbis and I'm a religious Jew and I'm a practicing rabbi, but I don't feel that way with a lot of people. And I know my sponsor loves me unconditionally and unconventionally. <laughs> and we do things together and my kids love him. And that, that has been a big gift of my life. Thank you, Kiva. Thank you, Kiva. Luke, you to go next? Yeah. Hi, thank you. Thank you, buddy, for your for sharing your story so unexpectedly also for stepping in, jumping in. Um, yeah, I can relate to a lot of stuff. I, I have a chronic depression also. And <clears throat> I don't know. They say that depression is uh, anger come inwards. Yeah. Mm. That's who knows? Maybe I, I also, I might also have a physical chemical imbalance. And so maybe it's just a lifelong thing and just another disease uh, apart from my, from my sexualism. But yeah, I've been sexually abused also in my youth. And um, I thought I had forgiven those persons. Yeah. But then doing step work, work again. I'm now working the steps in CODA, Codependence Anonymous. And I can see that stuff is coming up again. I mean, step mm -hmm. three only, yeah. But stuff is coming up again. And, and, and I see that I have more anger towards my father who emotionally abused me and to my mother who sexually abused me than I thought before, yeah. So um, apparently it's a, it's a long process, and uh, it's in God's time, not in my time. Okay, my question to you is, uh, buddy, and it's it's a completely different question. As you were, you were in AA over forty years, yeah, and in SA over twenty years. What would you say to AA members who come in SA, but who, who, who think that they that they don't have to work the program of SA? because they are AA old-timers, and then they don't get sober in SA. So what would you tell them? Thank you. 
Hey, thanks, Luke. I've considered that myself. Um, and sometimes I think I ought to just forget that I even came in through AA because it didn't count. <laughs> it says it. Roy K. wrote that in our white book, and I skipped over that part. He says it right there. He says, sobriety or recovery in other 12-step programs is of no value when we come to SA. And I thought, well, what do you mean? Of course it's of value. I haven't drank in 17 years. It had to be worth something. But I see today what he's talking about in that all that head knowledge of how I work the steps in AA wasn't helping me at all in my heart. And I had to get the SA 12 steps into my heart. And in that sense, I was a completely new guy, a completely newcomer to the 12-step programs when it came to surrendering lust. None of that stuff. That was all just this, like, it was like carrying around in the encyclopedia that that could just be sitting on the top of my head <laughs> it wasn't helping me any at all um and, and and that's what i understood that i had to take on the attitude of a newcomer when it comes to surrendering lust and i had to be willing to get a sponsor and follow direction my first thoughts my sponsor said you need to do abstinence and I thought, I don't need abstinence. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because in those, I, I did a 90-day period of abstinence. And boy, I really, really got to see how lust had, was so entangled inside of me. Um, I saw where I was going to AA meetings just to lust. <laughs> what kind of sobriety was that? I saw some women in AA were scared of me. What kind of sobriety was that? <laughs> yeah, it just I go with the white book. Yeah, that that other sobriety didn't didn't help me none. And if I think I can stay sober based on my AA sobriety, what the hell am I doing in SA? <laughs> yeah, humbling, very humbling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Luke. Good to see you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Luke. Uh, our next question is from Lee. Hey, I just, uh, this is Lee. I wanted to say uh, a couple things. One is in Nashville, we have this saying when people come in from other step 12 step programs is the credits don't transfer. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And so uh, that's, that's yeah. a sound bite that's always really penetrating yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at any rate uh, I, I've given lots of talks in my years uh, and the best ones I've ever given were the ones that I didn't know until uh, 20 seconds before <laughs> you know uh, the spirit talks rather than the head and it works a lot better yeah. uh, I agree I've had that lifelong uh, bubble that I've lived in that separated me from the rest of the world. 
uh, in my years in recovery, uh, I've had lots of spiritual progress, a lot of it the educational variety, but I have had uh, periodic uh, white light experiences, more than one, uh, giving me insight into different things. The last one uh, was about four years ago when it was very similar. I had just this eruption in Starbucks uh, and sobbed and cried and everything for 45 minutes uh, with a group of friends. And people in Starbucks were saying, coming by and saying, we're praying for him. Uh, And uh, all of this thing, and it was related to a family thing, but uh, I came out just like you said, uh, joy. And that was uh, my depression lifted that I'd had for a long time. And that was great. The question is, I try to relate that to the steps. Uh, what, where can I put spiritual experiences like that into the steps? I think maybe it's uh, suddenly eleventh step God consciousness. Uh, do you have any ideas about that since you've been through that? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm sorry, I I don't. I keep trying to um, analyze it and. I really don't get very far. And also that voice in my head says, don't analyze, just utilize. (laughs) Um, No, but I I do know that without the 12 steps, I I don't believe I would ever have had that experience. Um, Without the SA program, I was not going to do the kind of deep soul-searching work that needed to be done so somehow the 12 steps take the credit and i'll just leave it at that (laughs) okay thank you buddy we have time for one more question before to finish so nick you want to go ahead oh i see nick has put his hand down so peter do you want to jump in final question Yes, I have. Thank you very much for sharing, buddy. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I was really touched. And uh, I, I, it reminds me that one of my therapists uh, asked me that, uh, have you ever abused uh, sexual in, in your life? And I answered that I think no, but I have no memories about that. And uh, when I heard your sharing, uh, it was interesting because it reminds me in my childhood that one of the guy in uh, one of my cl- classmates uh, when I was six or seven years old, and he was the first one. He telling me his experiences of pornography, watching pornography and the stories about that. And that was the the guy who showed me first time sex magazines and after, you know, sex film and so on. And I became teenager and, and uh, uh, never touched me in a sexual way. So uh, I wasn't abused uh, in a real 
sexual term or something like that, but I was abused uh, like with pictures and stories and I was really shocked about that. And my question is about that. How can you realize that? How can you find a point when uh, you could, okay, that's the point, I can forgive them? Or I don't know, it's uh, clear my question. And uh, thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Peter. I'm not really too sure. Um, could you repeat your question? Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, what was the? How can you realize that when you can forgive to your uncle and for your father? Uh, so okay, that, I, I I understand now. I can only relate this back to when I realized that I had forgiven my father. Um, it took me years and years. My dad drank himself to death shortly before his 61st birthday. Um, I had a lot of anger, pain, the neglect, the abandonment, all of that stuff. And how I began the process was through writing. And then I started to visit his cemetery. And I would sit there and I would read the letters to my father. Um, the day I realized I had forgiven him, I took him a bottle of beer <laughs> and I set a glass and I poured him a glass of beer <laughs> on his headstone. And I realized I felt joy and that somewhere within me was a love for my father and that I understood his childhood was probably worse than mine. Um, his older brother got killed fighting in World War II. My father's father walked out on the family when my father was 12, and, and, but still lived in the neighborhood and would see my, my father, but would not acknowledge him. So, so my dad's life may have been worse than mine. My, at least my father stayed. But when I poured him that beer, um, which is exceptional because I'm an alcoholic, but yet I had no desire to drink. And I felt a sense in my heart of, of love for my father as, as uh, an alcoholic who never got the opportunity to get sober like I have. Um, so when I got that sense of joy, I realized, yeah, my work with my father is done. He's been dead 15 years at that point, but, but my work was done. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Mm-hmm.